Today, we're going to be joined by former NASCAR and IndyCar broadcaster for ESPN and ABC, Marty Reed, as we will get the chance to talk to Marty about his great career of over 30 years covering motorsports and catch up with him to what he's doing now in days. All that and more when he joins us in just a little while from right now. As always, Let's Go Racing is presented by Ticket Smarter. Ticket Smarter came aboard as the primary sponsor this year on David's 08 Ford Mustang. We want a little, we want to tell you a little bit more about what they do. Ticket Smarter is a national ticket resale marketplace with tickets to over 125,000 live events, including NASCAR and other forms of motorsports. Fans can get tickets to every NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Catholic World Truck Series race throughout the season. Visit ticketsmarter.com for more. That's ticketsmarter.com. Tyler Jones here alongside Dominic Oregon. The one and only David Starr actually is out this week, but he's still here in spirit. You can see him uh, behind me. Oh, there, there he is. is. Yes. <laughs> but nonetheless, uh, Dom, uh, David will rejoin us next week, but uh, we'll still have uh, plenty to discuss. It was an off week on the NASCAR and Cup side, the, uh, the Cup and Xfinity side, Dominic. And unlike most years, it is the only off week of the season. Exactly. We've seen two, three, four off weekends throughout the, the last couple of years. In fact, we had a two-week break the last two years on the Cup Series side with the Olympics and the Olympics being rescheduled. But yes, this was the only NASCAR off weekend through November now. So we know that we're going to have Cup Series racing every weekend now through November 6th, which will be the ultimate race in Phoenix for the NASCAR Championship Race Weekend. Yeah, Tyler, I mean, we know the season's starting a little later, and we had double headers over the last few weeks. But, yes, the season, it seems like it's just going really, really fast because we have racing every week. Right. Now, you still have the trucks racing at Knoxville, and they put on quite a show there, Dom, with that performance of what they were able to do. And that was the second time the trucks have been on dirt in 2022. Second time they've been there and second time they've been at that track. They went there in Knoxville last season. And I mean, there was some great racing in the event. Derek Krause started on the pole, earned the most points through the heat races. And, and you had a lot of your front runners, Ian Smith, Ben Rhodes. But in the end, it was Todd Gilliland and his return to the NASCAR Truck Series, racing for his dad's organization, picking up the victory at Knoxville. And, and I believe it was the last chance race for a non-Truck Series driver. So if you're collecting points in the Cup Series, you can't run after the Knoxville race because the Pocono race, which is up next on the schedule, is the last race of the regular season, then the playoffs. And, of course, NASCAR has that rule where drivers who are collecting points in Cup cannot run in the Truck Series or Xfinity once that last regular season race hits and the playoff starts. Right, with the uh, focus on those series running for their championships as well. So we will uh, look ahead uh, later on to this weekend in Nashville. I'll be there. David will be there. We'll talk about that later in the show. but. In the meantime, Dom, we're excited to bring on a guest in Marty Reed, somebody that I'm sure people are very familiar with for his great work over the years on the NASCAR and IndyCar side, calling those series on ESPN and ABC. But we haven't heard from Marty in a while, so I'm very intrigued to catch up with Marty and see what he's up to these days. I am too. I talked with Marty a few weeks back. I, I talked with him, as you all know, I'm working on that book with Jeff Bodine. We're interviewing, tracking down people with it. And, and Marty was gracious enough to do the interview and even more gracious enough to do the show with us this week. And, and Marty hails from Carlisle, Pennsylvania. 
Like you said, he had the long career with ESPN and ABC. He also got his start as a DJ, radio DJ. I believe he was doing ads with his brother who needed some help. So we'll ask him more about that during the show. But definitely a decorated career across motorsports. And he was telling me he's the only broadcaster to, to call all major six of the North American Touring Series. That's NASCAR, IndyCar, CART, and NHRA. So definitely a lot to unpack in today's show. And, and Marty, we couldn't be more happy that you joined us here on Let's Go Racing this week. Well, guys, thanks for having me. Uh, it, it's a pleasure to join you, and uh, let's dig into it. What do you want to know? Let, let's <laughs> definitely dig into it. So I, I definitely want you to take us back to the beginning because everybody has a, a start somewhere, and one of our favorite things to do on the show is to have people take us back to where it all started. Where did that interest in media and journalism, where did that all start for you, and, and, and how did that spark, and how did that, I guess, transcend over the years? Well, it, 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 it is an interesting uh, uh story because uh, I, I was always a sports fan. Uh, I loved playing sports, uh, but the reality was I, I knew early on that I was not going to be like uh, in the NHL, the NBA, the NFL. And so I started thinking about sports broadcasting. And you have to remember back when I was a kid, there were only three television networks. There was only a few races on television. So, I mean, I thought my career was going to go stick and ball. And I did do uh, Columbus Clippers AAA baseball when I was working in Columbus, Ohio, back in the uh, 80s and 90s. And, uh, and, and did Ohio State football, basketball, and those kinds of things. But uh, things really changed when ESPN came online in 1979. And I had always been a, a race fan. In fact, uh, I always kid uh, uh, Bruce Larson, uh, because I used to go down to York US 30 Dragway because he was, was king of that place. And um, you know, we, we always swap stories. And, and uh, even to this day, I mean, every time I, I get a chance to see him, it, I, I pull out the, the pictures I have of USA One and, um, and, and we share those memories. But I was always a race fan, but I, I didn't really think that my career was gonna be in motorsports. But then all of a sudden, I, I, the spring nationals for NHRA were in Columbus out at National Trail Raceway. And um, through the years between 1975, when I started at WCMH-TV in Columbus and 1982, um, you know, the, the race would come every year. And, and I met Steve Evans and Dave McClellan and they saw my work and, and we had done some specials on drag racing leading up to the event. And um, in 1982, ESPN decided to do their first ever NHRA drag race. And Steve Evans had a conflict and God bless his soul. Um, he recommended me uh, and that's how it all started. I got a call out of the clear blue sky and it's a job I never applied for. And uh, so you'll never hear me say a bad word about Steve Evans. And, and I worked with McClellan on that first race. And little did I know that, you know, years later in, in uh, 2001, I would be asked to, to take over the seat that he was gonna retire from, but that's where it all started. And uh, it just, you know, one race turned to two, two turned to four, four to eight, and pretty soon I'm, I've got a pretty full schedule. Marty, uh, David's not here, but I'll ask the question that he tends to ask our guests usually. When, when it all started for you, whether it was, you know, as a, as a, a sports fan or motorsports fan, was, was your dad involved? Did you have a, a brother or, 
or uncle? I mean, where did the the passion come from in in, in your early days? Uh, I I have to tell you, it was self inflicted. Uh, my dad was not a sports fan. Uh, my mom was a sports fan. Uh, she loved baseball and football, but dad was never really uh, much of a sports fan. And unfortunately, my, my brother was killed when he was 18 and I was, or he was 19 and I was 14. And so we never had a chance, but he, he had a career in, in radio. He was a, a, a disc jockey. And uh, in fact, I did my first commercial. He needed an extra voice. He was working at WIOO in Carlisle, Pennsylvania. And it was McGinnis Radio and Television. And uh, I'm like, uh, I don't know, 12 years old, 11. And being so excited, um, I guess my voice wasn't really as deep as it is now. And I was crushed because the first time I heard it on the radio and he comes back on and he thanks Molly McGinnis for the help on the spot. So I couldn't tell my friends that it was me because I was totally embarrassed. Uh, but uh, that was uh, the first time I was ever on the air uh, at, at uh, that early age. And, and then really what happened was um, I had a, a next door neighbor who was a little older than me and he had his driver's license and we used to go to Hershey Bears hockey games. And I would sit in the upper deck with him in the very last row at the Her old Hershey arena. And we would call play by play into my little cassette recorder that I had. And then I would take it back and listen to it over and over and over and pick apart, you know, where's the puck? What side of the ice are you on? What direction is everybody going? And we did that um, uh, for numerous games. So that by the time I, I graduated from high school, uh, I went to Marietta College and started in right away. Uh, the reason I went to Marietta is because they, they recruited me for broadcasting. All their seniors were leaving. And um, a guy by the name of Bill Rosinski, who still oh, yeah. does PGA golf and some, some uh, football, he and I were college classmates. And he and I are the only two that, that really stayed on the air the whole time. But he and I started right out as freshmen doing uh, uh, Marietta College football, basketball, uh, everything else, anything that moved. We, we basically got a chance to practice. And, and you, you want to hear, a, this, is a, this is a true story. Our first game on my second year. I'm now a sophomore. And um, it, we had ancient equipment. I mean, we're still on black and white cameras and didn't even have much Zoom capability. And uh, But it, that's not what I was worried about. I, I wanted the practice of being in front of that microphone. Well, as most people probably may or may not know, in one ear is your director and producer. And in the other ear is the program that's going out over the air. And so we're in very early into the first quarter. And all of a sudden in this ear, I hear this. And I'm calling the play-by-play -play and pioneers have the ball first and 10 at the 20 yard line. I got to remember these, this is the days of old rotary telephones. That's how old I am. And so, and my director of broadcasting, who is my number one professor is going, What's that noise? I didn't say anything. I'm focused. Settles comes up under center. Crowley spread out to the right. Two in the backfield. Hello? Sadie? Settles goes back to pass. He's yelling in this ear. What is going on? I'm still focused. 
Settles looking downfield. Crowley's open. Sadie, I've got a football game on my telephone. What's going on? And just as he lets go of the ball, I yell into the microphone, loud for everybody to hear, I don't know. <laughs> so that's the true story. <laughs> Gosh. So I, I'm, I'm curious now on that story. Did they ever figure out who was on the other line or what exactly? Yeah, well, happened? What, what happened was the audio lines were actually telephone lines. And somehow it got crossed with a, a house that was right across the street from the, the football field. Okay. And so they, they we're, we go to a commercial break and the phone company says, lady, don't use your phone for an hour. We'll, we'll call you back. <laughs> oh. So, so we, we made it up to her somehow, some way. I don't know, but, uh, oh, there's, there's a, a, a bunch of those. I mean, we, you know, we, we make mistakes all the time and, and, uh, you know, some of them are funny and some of them aren't. Do you ever get to meet this lady or no? No, no, have no idea who okay. she is. No, but it's, it, it it's, uh, believe me, it was a, a, a moment. And, and what you learn in that, and that's why I, I wanted to go to college where I could get on the air, is that, you know, your focus and your concentration, because you got to be able to rub your stomach and pat your head at the same time. That's the only thing that makes this job hard. And unfortunately, it, you know, as, as all of us get older, I mean, the, the truth is that gets harder and harder. And, and it happens to a lot of guys. Um, and, you know, it's just part of the deal. Um, because especially in the sports that go fast, it, it, it's easy to focus when it's golf. Because all you have to do is, you know, you can, you can be quiet for 35, 40 seconds. Mm -hmm. But, you know, that's not the case in motor racing and some of these other games. Sure. So getting the chance to call some some of biggest races ever. I mean, what are you most proud of when you think back on getting to travel the NASCAR circuit, IndyCar? Are there motorsport moments you think of that you're really proud of or you were really happy to be a part of? Uh, th there's so many. I mean, really, when I when I think about it, um, one of the things I'm most proud of, you mentioned it, is is that um, my, my versatility was that every week I was doing something else. You gotta remember in the early days of ESPN, we literally owned motorsports. ESPN was built on the back of motorsports. We were the only thing that was making money. So the more motorsports that we could get, that's what they wanted because it, they were, it was paying the bills. Most people don't know this. There was a stretch where ESPN was about to go under. In fact, in the beginning, we used to, we nicknamed it the extremely slow paying network because, <laughs> uh, because I, I would be strung out 90 as much as 120 days before I would get checks. Oh. And, and you had to pay your expenses on your credit card and then they would reimburse you when they had the cash. And they were always good for it, but I mean, you were strung out. And you have to remember that, that first event I did with Dave McClellan. I got the whopping paycheck of $250 for the whole weekend, plus expenses. And that's how tight budgeted ESPN was. You gotta, you gotta remember, this, this, this was a dream of Bill Rasmussen. Here's a guy who comes along and says, I'm gonna do 24 hour sports. And everybody laughed at him. I mean, they thought, you're crazy. What are you going to fill it with? And, you know, we had Australian rules, football. I mean, hell, if we, if we could have sold tiddlywinks, we would have done it. But motorsports was the one thing at that time that wasn't getting a lot of coverage. And here's this network that has got 24 hours and everything. I mean, we were, we were putting on 
everything and desert racing that I was involved in. I mean, if I, I tried to count how many actual sports, motorsports that I covered in, in my 31 years. And literally, I, I was fortunate enough to be involved in, in all of them. If it had wheels and a motor, whether it was motorcycles, I did supercross, I did motocross. Um, if it was uh, IMSA, I, I, you know, we did sports car racing. Um, the, the three NASCAR touring seasons series later in life, I ended up doing IndyCar, both pit and 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 play-by-play uh, -play and NHRA and and I mean it it, it was just it, it was an amazing time to be involved as a fan of motorsports and to be that storyteller. You know, everybody always asked me, you know, what was your job? I said, well, I'm the storyteller. I said. There's a beginning and there's an end. And we know it's going to start with a green flag. And it's going to end with a checker flag. But there's going to be like 20 to 40 stories, depending on how many cars are entered, that are going to you know, unfold during this race. And we're going to try and cover as many of those stories as possible. Some days we were better than most. Some days we weren't. And the one thing I always hated was when I would get done with a broadcast and I would go, oh, we didn't put a period on that story you know um, if you introduce a story you always got to put a period on it. but something will happen and, and the producer will say you know we're going to this battle for a second and so it gets pushed off and then all of a sudden something else happens and before you know it that story has gone away and nobody remembers it and we don't put a put a period on it uh but that's what made live television so great and and here i am every week i mean one week I'm doing Thursday Night Thunder and then Saturday I'm going to an IMSA race. And then the next week I'm doing off-road out in the middle of the desert in Mexico. Then the next week I might be doing uh, uh, motorcycles. I mean, it, 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 it was just a great time to be involved with ESPN. In fact, it's, it's the one thing that I look at ESPN now and it, you know, it's not the same place and nothing stays the same. But it was it was a perfect time for, for guys like me that just wanted to be involved in motorsports. Now, I never really answered your question. Um, I always had this, this joke. I mean, there's so many great moments. I mean, being able to call Danica Patrick's one and only win at, at uh, Motegi, um, John Force's 100th win in NHRA, uh, Big Daddy Don Garlis and Shirley Maldowney's last trip down the track. Um, I mean, uh, any of the IndyCar, the eight IndyCar races at the 500, I mean, those are all special. Um, but, but the one that, and, it's, and it, it's hard, I still haven't been able to, to put it into the proper perspective, is unfortunately the worst day or of my career was actually the best job that collectively we all did. And that was the day that Dan Weldon was killed at Las Vegas. Mm. And, yeah. and um, we were on the air for two and a half hours from the time of the crash till the time we signed off. And not one of us made an error. Um, and I was, I was so thankful for that. Um, because th those are the moments, and, and that wasn't obviously. I've I've been involved in that four different times, and um, you know, each time I always said, "I hope this is the last," but I always knew that you know it, it's going to happen again sometime, no matter what precautions we take. But that that moment um, when we got done, 
and we could all look at each other and said, we did the best that we could. And I always had a joke with my producer um, because I, I always said, if I do the perfect show, I'm going to retire because there's no place to go but down. And as soon as I would make my first error, I would get in the talk back to the producer and I'd go, well, you're stuck with me for another week. And, and this was the one and only time. And, it, and it's sad because it happened in such a tragic event and, and it's nothing to be happy about. It's, I'm just glad that we didn't screw it up. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a very good point. Uh, we're joined by Marty Reed this week here on uh, Let's Go Racing. And, you know, one of the things that I always thought listening to you growing up, Marty, was that you did a great job of being in the moment, of adding the right tone and excitement to some of the races you called and such. What, what was it like for you of bouncing around different disciplines, but then also finding the the right, you know, happy medium or the, the, the right words to say just in those moments as, as a play-by-play guy of, that was so versatile like yourself. How, how did you do it? I, I, if, I, if I had the elixir, I would sell it because <laughs> I could make it. it I, I honestly believe it's, it's just like anything else. If you are a, a, a hockey player, you're practicing. If you are a baseball player, you're always practicing. You're 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 perfecting your craft no matter what you do in life. If you're a, if you're an accountant, you need to be perfecting your craft because that's going to make you more money. It's going to make your clients more money. That kind of thing. So, I I just always looked at it as every race was an opportunity to connect with the fan, with the viewer at home. He can't be at the track, so we are that storyteller we're their eyes and their ears and it's it's up to us to be honest uh don't oversell but bring that excitement home um let that if if i'm excited about it why not show it if it's getting into a lull tell the truth you know right now things have calmed down you know somebody's got to start doing something and and so when you're honest with the viewer, they're inviting you into your, their home. Right. I mean, you know, and, and whenever I looked at that camera, uh, I, I always told my wife, I, I think about families, our family, someone's family, sitting around that television, and they're counting on us to be that storyteller. If you're excited about the event, if, if you understand the importance of it, um, you know, the, the races that were difficult were the ones that were parades. Well, then find the story. You know, that was the thing that Terry Lingner, as, a, as, as the early coordinating producer, harped on at ESPN. If, if first place is a runaway, screw it. We'll check back every five laps or so until it gets tight. Let's find race. Find what's going on. And, I mean... If you go back and look at those early ESPN races, whether it was Bob Jenkins or Paul Page or me or, or Bob Varsha or any of the guys that were, were involved, it, it's that ability to find the race and it's the great camera work and, and the guys in the truck. And then it's up to you to just tell the story, what's going on. And if it's totally a parade, well, then that's where all that background information, where you go back into the pits and you try and pick people's brains so that you can give some interesting information, uh, that little behind the scenes as much as you can get. Um, and, 
you know, th that's where that comes in. In fact, people have always asked me, go, what was the, the, the best sport? And, and I said, well, they're all great, but I got to tell you, uh, my best six years was, was drag racing because unlike every other form of motorsports where you get about two minutes with a driver before he's got commitments for sponsors or he's got to get into a team meeting or he's got to get back out on track for two hours in drag racing, they're in the pits for two hours and they're on the track for two hours, two minutes and 35 seconds from the time they like to the time they shut down. Mm -hmm. So you had all this time to get all this information. And one of my favorite stories involved uh, John Force's crew chief. Um, and, and um, uh, oh, God, I'm having a senior moment right now, Austin Coyle. And he always had a toothpick in his mouth when he'd come to the starting line. And one day, you know, I had the opportunity. I said, Austin, I got to ask you, what, what's with the toothpick? And, and he had this kind of tinny voice. And he goes, Marty? I said, well, tell you the truth, I used to come to the starting line with a cigar, but I was afraid I was going to blow myself up. You know, and, and you know, it, it's not a belly laugh, it's, but it, it lets the viewer in on the humanity side of, the, of these guys. And, and that's what made drag racing so great because all the drivers got it. Gary Selzy was tremendous. He would do anything because that, that got their sponsors on television. And, and they knew that that car going 300 miles an hour was a blur, but the logos on their shirts and, and everything else, their hats, you know, and then getting out there and, and being out front, you know, and so it, that was the easiest. And, 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 and everybody on the crew, our television crew, were gearheads. They were drag racing fans. So it, it was really a, a great opportunity. It was the same crew at week in, week out. And, and I'm not saying the others were bad, don't get me wrong, by any stretch of the imagination. But drag racing just allowed you to get the, those interesting stories. Well, and even to take that a step further, Marty, and all the preparation you would do for all the sports you'd cover and, and having to, do, to balance different sports throughout the week, multiple different disciplines and motorsports platforms. For you, did it ever feel stressful or did it ever feel like, no, this is work. This, this, this doesn't even feel like work. How, I mean, what was that mentality like for you? And, and did it ever at times feel stressful or did it always just feel like you were doing a dream job or maybe somewhere in the middle? The, the work was the travel. I mean, I, everything else I did was, I never felt like it was work. Um, because I, I mean, it, it, it was always the, the challenge of, okay, let's bank as much information as we can. And, you know, if, if, if I was in my early days working pit lane, you know, you would have X number of pit boxes that you were responsible for. So you would bank as much information as you could. And, and then, you know, if, if, the, if the story allowed itself to be told, then go ahead and tell it. Give you a perfect example. Two of them involving one of my favorite people, Dan Gurney. Um, uh, for those who may not know, Dan Gurney was a genius in, in motorsports. I mean, he won the 1967 Formula One race in Spa, Belgium, uh, in an American-built car by him with an American driver. It's the last time it's happened. Um, but he also was part of the Toyota GTP program. And these cars were killer. They, I mean, they dominated at, for uh, several years. And IMSA kept restricting the injector. And so we go to Atlanta Motor Speedway, 
where that car, the Toyota GTP car, uh, still holds the, the close course record to this day. And uh, he is just, now, now he, his team, Juan Manuel Fangio, PG, PJ Jones, they're, they're running in lockstep. They're first and second. But Dan is, was a purist. It was always about me, my car, and my ability to drive and my ability to build the best car versus you and your abilities. Uh, he was, I'll, t I'll tell you right now, he did not like NASCAR at all. He thought it was homogenized racing. He didn't like when IndyCar started to homogenize. But anyway, he's just, he's on the pit box and he, he on the row there and, and on top of the wall and he, and I'm working the pits back then. And I, I, I can tell he's upset. So I go to him and I go, Dan, what's wrong? And he goes, Marty, look at this. Look what they've done to my cars. They're breathing through the holes the size of a hummingbird's rectum. And I get the microphone, I send it. <laughs> and, and, and it, you know, I mean, that's the way he was. They were still running, but they weren't running as, as pure as they could have if, if uh, IMSA would have turned them loose. The other great Dan Gurney story is um, PJ Jones was the number two driver behind Juan Manuel Fangio, and we're at Portland International Raceway. And again, I'm working pit lane. This is you know, long time ago. And um, the, the, we all knew what the plan was because again, these cars were just, they were dominant. And the plan was for Fangio to win the championship. And sure enough, they get out and they're running one, two. And um, so Fangio pits first, crew does a good job. They get him back out. Next lap, PJ comes around, pits, crew does a better job. PJ does a better job on pit exit and pit in and he gets out in front of Juan and we all know we're producers going uh what just happened I said let me check in on this so I go to, to Dan and, and I, I he is gracious now he never turned me down I said hey um I thought the plan was for Juan to be out front and Dan goes yeah but I I think I've screwed that up and I go, well, what are you going to do? He goes, well, since I've messed it up, what do you think we should do? I said, you're going to let me make the call? He goes, why not? I've, I've done a pretty poor job up to now. And uh, I said, well, pit crew did their job, right? He goes, yeah. PJ is doing his job, right? He goes, yeah. I said, I think we ought to let the kid go win his first race. He goes, okay, that's what we're going to do. And that's how PJ won his first race. He never ordered him to pull over. Wow. How about that? <laughs> That's fascinating. Uh, Marta, you, you've covered some of the, the greats in, in all of motorsports. You mentioned from John Forrest to Danica Patrick, Jimmy Johnson, Dale Earnhardt Jr., whatever. I mean, it may be. What about people? the motorcycle guys, Jeremy McGrath? And I mean, yeah, you're right. The list goes on and on. Who were some of your personal favorites? Like, who were some of the, the best ones that you had uh, interactions with over the years from a, a personal standpoint? Uh, I, I, I have to be honest with you. I never wanted to get too close to anybody because if, if, if the story demanded that we be objective, I never wanted a personal relationship to, to be in the way. Right. I mean, I, I was friendly with everybody, but it would be very rare where, I mean, for example, 
Jeff Gordon is one of the most genuine people that, that I know. Uh, most people probably, if they are older or younger, don't know his early days, but our, th our Thursday night thunder put him on the map. Right. And he was running sprints and midgets. Well, to this day, whenever he would come into uh, Indianapolis, uh, Terry Lingner, who, who is one of the best producers ever in motorsports, Lingner Group Productions, they were the ones that were producing these shows. He would always take the time to stop by and say hi. And, th and this is after he's won championships. This is when he's making millions. I mean, he, he could easily forget about, you know, where it all started, but he didn't. Um, and, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of great people like that. I mean, I, I had very few, uh, situations where I, I felt like, um, I didn't want to be around somebody. Um, yeah, there were a few, um, but I, I always tried to do one other thing. Um, I never tried to judge somebody by the way they tr treated me under the pressure situation. Let me give you an example. Motorsports fans don't realize how good they have. A guy crashes out. As soon as he gets out of the infield care center, there's a microphone and a camera in his face. As soon as he drops out of a race, there's a microphone and a camera in his face. Let me ask the, those fans, do you think that when Peyton Manning threw that interception on one of the very first plays of the second half uh, against the New Orleans Saints in the Super Bowl, that anybody would have the, the, the audacity to walk up to him on the sidelines with a camera and a microphone and say, Peyton, what did you or did you not see? It's not going to happen. You don't get that kind of access in any other sport but motorsports. And fans have become spoiled by it. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, you know, there are times where, where, where I'll have issues with, with racers with what they do. But if under the heat of the moment, that they need a, a minute. As long as they told me, just give me a second. AJ Foyt and I had a, a great relationship because of that. He would just put his finger up. That, that was my signal. Don't come in. I'm not ready yet. This was back when AJ was still, you know, he was competitive as hell. And, and you, you just, you walk up to him at the wrong moment, that, that wrench that he was getting ready to throw at the mechanic, he's going to throw it at you. Um, so I, I always felt like, Give them a moment. Now, if they do something really stupid, and, and, and there's plenty of guys that have done stuff like that, and we don't need to go into names. Everybody knows who they are. Um, <laughs> and, you know, then, then I'll take them to task. But I've never held that against somebody in their driving talent. Um, I mean, uh, there was an instance where, where Kyle Busch uh, criticized Dale Earnhardt Jr. the week prior. And... I just happened to be the foil for next week when he was trying to deflect. And I knew it. Um, and he made a move during that race. I believe it was Charlotte, if I remember. He, he sliced his dice through three cars, two of them side by side, cut the middle. And, and I gave him his due. You know, that, that's my job. Um, so, you know, I always felt like uh, if, if I give respect, you get respect. And, and I would say 99% of the time, that was the way it was. And yeah, I mean, Jimmy Johnson, here's the thing. It's hard to, to pick somebody. 
I called Jimmy Johnson's first victory in the Mickey Thompson Stadium Series. He was 16 years old driving a stadium super light. Casey Mears was 15 when he won his first stadium super light race. I was lucky enough to call that race. I mean, you, 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 I remember covering Indy Lights when Tony Kanaan and Elio Castroneves were teammates on Steve Horn's team, has been racing. And I watched these two guys come up through the system and we're friends to this day, but I've never spent a weekend at their house. Um, I guess I could now, I mean, if, if we wanted to get together, I mean, when I see them, you know, we have a great conversation and, and things like that. But when I was working, I always felt that there had to be friendly, but I, I, I can't be buddy, buddy, I, I, because there's going to, there could come a time where I've got to say something that, that that's just not, and, and I don't want to have to hold back. Right. And, and so that's, that's basically the way I, I, I carried myself through my career. You worked with uh, a lot of great broadcasters as well, uh, whether it was former drivers like Rusty Wallace or whether it was uh, Hall of Fame broadcasters on like in their own right, like we had Dr. Jerry Punch on last week and, and uh, several others. Uh, who, who were some of your favorites? I mean, I, I loved when, when you worked with Scott Goodyear. You guys called great races in IndyCar. I mean, there's a number number of people you worked with. Who were some of your favorites there? Well, you mentioned Goodyear. He and I, he and I are, are good friends to this day. He lives up in Carmel, uh, which is north side of Indianapolis. I live the west side. And, uh, and, and it was always fun when, when we brought Cheever into the booth because those guys had some history and, and I, could, I could sort of stir the pot. The one thing I, I've never succeeded at with Scott, he has the driest, greatest sense of humor. Mm -hmm. But when he got into the broadcast booth, it was like when he got into the race car, the helmet came down and it was focused. And he was so focused on, on the broadcast. And he did, he, he did wonderful work. I mean, he, he, he knew exactly, you know, what was going on and, and he played well uh, off of Cheever and vice versa, especially the more times they, they did races together. Um, you, you mentioned Rusty, he was a hoot. Uh, <laughs> bringing him into to IndyCar uh, was, you know, you talk about the proverbial duck out of water. Uh, and, and I mean, he was just like wide-eyed and absorbing all of it. And, 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 but he didn't try and con anybody, you know, he, he was having fun. Um, of course, Benny Parsons, geez, the, the, I, on our last broadcast together before he went to NBC, uh, it was a truck race. And uh, I told everybody at home, I said that, that here's the two things that you will learn working with Benny Parsons. Yeah, it's not music unless it's got a banjo or a fiddle <laughs> and you'll never go hungry in the garage. Because everywhere we would go, Benny, come over here. Marty, come here. Come on with me. And, and they, oh God, I, I swear I, I put on five pounds at least through that season with him, but he was great. Um, I, I have said this many times in drag racing, um, the best analyst I ever had in just a two-man booth was uh, Mike Dunn. He won 22 national events in both Funny Car and Top Fuel. And what made him special was not only could he talk about what was going on with the driver, but he literally had built these cars, both of them, from the ground up. His father, Mike, or, uh, 
Jim Dunn, big Jim Dunn. Um, it, it still has a, and um, I mean, his knowledge was just, it, it was mind blowing. I mean, he would know instantaneously what was wrong with the car and exactly what happened. And, and it made it, it made my job so easy because I, I didn't have to try and hook him in and wheel him in and things like that. But yeah, there, there are so many, I mean, and, and even, you know, people don't know the people behind the scenes. Um, and I always said this, and it's the truth. They always make us lucky ones that are in front of the camera look and sound better than we really are. Because if they don't capture that moment, uh, you know, where the, the, the key pass or, the, or a, a, a bump against the wall or, you know, something really small, not the major, the major crash. I'm talking about the, the stuff that, that changes the story just a little. And if we miss it, we don't know about it. Um, th those people um, and the audio guys, man, you, you have no idea how many pot level levels they have. And I mean, I don't know how they do it, but they always capture the sound, the essence of the crash or the essence of the, the engine screaming by at the right moment. Um, they are the unsung heroes of, of motorsports television. And when you fast forward today, Marty, and you look at all the great things you've gotten to do and you think of all the motorsports there is across this country, how closely do you follow? Do you still watch NASCAR, NHRA? Do you still tune in every week, flag to flag? How does that look for you present day? I, I catch uh, some drag racing. I catch a lot of IndyCar because you live in Indianapolis, you, 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 you better. Uh, <laughs> um, I, I catch a few uh, Xfinity or truck races. I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, I have a difficult time with NASCAR Cup right now. I have had since they went to stage racing. Um, and, and this goes back to a, oh, years before. Um, somebody will probably dig it up if they're watching this uh, out on YouTube. I did a NASCAR Now broadcast years ago. I can't even tell you how many years ago. And we were, we were in our production meeting, we were talking about how do we solve the NASCAR nap, you know, where we watch the start of the race. The race is so darn long that you could go cut the grass or take a nap and come back, catch the end, and, you know, there you are. And my idea was, let's take, a, if it's a 200-lap race, let's break it down into quarters every 50 laps. And whoever's running and first place gets 25% of first place points and right on down the line. And at the end of the race, the winner would get a bonus. And what it would do was, was multiple things. Let's say, let's go back to Jeff Gordon. We'll use him as an example. How many times has he or any other racer been up front, running well, all of a sudden, 10 laps to go, boom, something goes wrong. And he ends up 40th or 35th and, you know, points are gone. Well, if he'd have been leading in those first three seconds, He's got 75% of the first place points. And now right. it, but it also does one other thing. It changes the strategy because the fuel window, do you stop early so that you're out in front or do you push it as far as you can, hoping that you catch a yellow and then you get to lap 50 and you pick up your points that way. What I hate about stage racing is, and I hate saying this, but it's, it's TV's fault because of the big rights fees that these companies, NASCAR wants, they needed more commercial time. 
So we stopped the race. And I think that is the worst thing they could have ever done. And I mean, I, I at the time I was, uh, I had, we had Jeff Burton on the, the NASCAR now edition that day. And he thought it was the craziest, stupidest idea that he had ever heard. And then all of a sudden, when he was in the broadcast booth with stage racing, he thought it was pretty cool. So uh, you'd have to ask him, but um, <laughs> Jeff's a good guy. I have nothing against him, but um, th that's my beef with it. And, it, and it, to me, it ruins the race. It, to me, if you, if you do it the way I presented it, you bring so much strategy into there. There's no reason for the fan. See, the fan can still go take the NASCAR nap. What, what, who cares about stage one, two? I care about the last stage. I care about, you know, the, the way they've set it up. It, 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 to me, it doesn't solve anything. Um, not the way they could have done it. But again, TV sometimes gets in the way of, of really good programming. So along those lines there, uh, you know, you, you saw firsthand IndyCar stuck to their guns of being a purist sport. They never went to a green-white checker over time or anything like that. And, and you know, their, their format was pretty steady. Comparably, you know, never went to a chase or playoff compared to NASCAR that's gone through all these wholesale changes in the last 10, 15 years. What was it like for, from your vantage point to see, you know, one series, you know, one discipline do one thing of, you know, sticking to what they do and then NASCAR – change evolving all the time here i mean it was those two series america's top two motorsports at the time operated in totally different directions well I, I think what happened was is that along the way nascar forgot its roots because if you remember the explosion thanks to espn all of a sudden you know all these races were on television and people were seeing these races and they're saying man i we got to get involved in this and then nascar said well we got to get out of the Southeast. We got to become more nationwide. And so we get rid of North Wilkesboro and, and we, you know, change Darlington and we get, get rid of other races and, and we bring on the cookie cutter tracks that, that people, you know, didn't really care about or the racing wasn't as good or whatever. And so now they're trying to, 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 to solve two issues. They're trying to keep that national audience and, and what, they, what they really forgot was a lot of those people that came on, that it's what I always called the next hot viewer. In other words, if, if, if they were uh, true race fans, they, they, they would be there all the time. But they were always looking for the next hot ticket. Look at, look at soccer. All of a sudden, ESPN shoves soccer down everybody's throat. And we've now forced people to, to like soccer. And there are some people that really like soccer and that's okay. Um, but it's still not, un unless it's the, the men's national or the women's national team playing in a very important, you know, uh, World Cup or Olympics, um, you know, I'm a fringe viewer on that. And that's, that's, that's what happened to NASCAR. We had all these viewers that, man, this is pretty cool, but, all the week, week after week after week, and year after year, and 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 in the meantime, the hardcore fan was sort of being pushed away. And I don't, NASCAR didn't mean to do it, but they did. And and I think that's why we had this peak. And 
That's why we're now struggling with, with a lot of motorsports. And, and look what F1 has done. F1 puts together the drive to survive and, and people become Formula One fans because they give you the behind the scenes look at these drivers. If you don't know anything about the driver, why would you care? That was always the thing about sports car racing. You know, you have three and four drivers on these long endurance races and people can't identify with it. I mean, if you're a Porsche fan, okay, you're gonna root for Porsche, but most of the people wouldn't know the names of the drivers at 24 hours of Le Mans this year if you gave them a checklist. And, and people want to identify. Rune Arledge was the one who developed this it, it, when he did the Olympics. It was focus on the athletes, give the, the viewer a reason to want to watch, to want to be a part of the program, to invest in the program. And that's why Elio Castroneves is, he's loved by everybody. Look at him. I mean, when he's always effervescent, he, he is like 24 hours on, you know, and, and people buy into that. And, and, and the same with, with other personalities. Uh, Danica, she had, she had mercurial. There were people who loved her, people that thought, oh, well, she's just here because she's a girl. And well, Danica did all right. You know, I think she would have done better if she had stayed in IndyCar. Yeah. I think, I think she would have won more races. Um, but you know, you, you make a career choice and I'm not going to fault her for that. Um, but you know, it, it, look at John Force and drag racing. The guy's in his seventies and fans still flock to him. Why? Because you never know what he's going to do next. I mean, it, that's just his personality. He loves it so much and he feeds off the fans. I mean, if the fans ever turned him off, I, it would crush him. Yeah. Um, I mean, he, he just, I mean, he lives and breathes for those fans. And, and so, you know, it, it's a tough call when you're trying to run a sanctioning body. I had built championship off-road racing. A lot of people don't know that. Um, we started it in 1997. It had been an amateur organization, which we were televising and my production company was producing it for ESPN and later Speed Channel. And um, the manufacturers came along and said, this, is, this has got to get more professional or we're out. So we bit the bullet and formed championship off-road racing. And, it, from 97 until the time I sold it in 05, we built it into 143 race teams. And we raced from California to Connecticut, over 600 licensed members. But we didn't do everything right. Um, it, it, and, and one of the things that, that you, you always were looking at was I, I tried to take everything I saw in NHRA and IndyCar and NASCAR and say, okay, I want to I in, incorporate the good things, but let's make sure we don't screw up and, and right, do, right. do the wrong thing. And um, we, I mean, obviously we did something right because we grew it into to something that somebody else wanted. And unfortunately he ran it into the ground in three years when the economy collapsed. And mm. So, but that's another story for another time. Yeah, one more thing and then we'll, uh, we'll move on to our uh, news and notes segment. Uh, Marty, uh, I gotta ask you, you know, the last time that we, we saw you on TV was back in uh, 2013, you were doing NASCAR and IndyCar uh, at that time uh, since you stepped away. What have you been up to now? <laughs> well, I tried retirement uh, and I found it highly overrated. <laughs> uh, 
this may stun a few viewers uh, of your podcast, but I drive a school bus for Brownsburg community. And the reason I do it is because uh, it's a way of giving back. I've been very fortunate in my life. Uh, we used to have a motor home, so the driving part of it was very easy. Um, although the bus is a little noisier than my wife and the dog and the cat used to be. Um, but I'll tell you a story. One of my, my former colleagues, and I could tell by the, the tone of their voice, they thought this was beneath me. And I, I said, let, let me ask you a question. I said, how many people do you think we talked to in all those years? And of course, you know, neither one of us, I said, millions, right? Millions. I said, how many are we responsible for their lives? I said, zero. I said, today, every day for 180 days a year, I climb into a school bus where I have a total between middle school and elementary of about 110 students where their mothers and fathers and sisters and brothers and aunts and uncles and grandpa and grandma and all the friends are counting on me to get them to and from school safely. I screw up once, people could die. And I said, I get a tremendous sense of, of satisfaction every day when that last child is off the bus, heading home, and I'm heading back to the barn to park. And... I, and I mean it. I mean, it, 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 it's, it's crazy. Sometimes the kids can drive you nuts with the noise level, but 95% uh, of the time, they are some neat kids. The parents are wonderful to work with. Um, you know, if you communicate with them, uh, they help you out. And, uh, you know, and, 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 and we run into everything. Uh, you know, it's amazing. School bus drivers are expected to be security guards because you got to take care of the kids on the bus. You got to be the, the disciplinarian and keep them in check. You got to be the driver. Um, you also have to be the, the, the person who cleans up the bus. You also got to be the person that cleans up the puke if they get sick. So you hopefully don't have that too often. So you got all these responsibilities. Oh, and oh, you got to remember which kids are ADHD, which ones are autistic, what their symptoms are. Um, I've got a, a one kid who, if he gets a bee sting and I don't get that thing, uh, injected into him, he's going to be in trouble. So, I mean, I never had that responsibility doing play-by-play. -play. I mean, it, all I had to do was entertain folks at home, hopefully. And this this job is, if, if somebody is looking for something in their retirement years that will absolutely change your perspective on a lot of things, try driving a school bus. You're not kidding about the importance. I mean, uh, Marty, uh, my, my school bus driver uh, growing up ran over my dog. No joke. So. Oh. <laughs> well, I haven't run over anybody's dog either. <laughs> That's good. So I have to ask you, Marty, have any of the students or any of the parents recognized you or like, hey, I remember you on TV or how often has that gotten brought up over the years? Sure. It gets less and less as the years go by. Um, but that's all right. I mean, you know, that, that it's like I've, I've, I've always said, uh, you know, uh, I, I, I've actually been amazed at how many people still remember. I just got a nice letter from a young man um, uh, just uh, two days ago. And, um, you know, it's been, what, uh, nine years almost, nine years in September since I was on the air. So I always thought that 30 days after I was off air, nobody would remember. So, you know, it's, it's nice. And I, I do appreciate it. That's great. That, uh, that is really cool. Uh, Marty, uh, 
One more thing, too, uh, I'll add in. Uh, did I read somewhere that you ran for office recently? Yeah. No, that was two years ago, and, and I got my butt handed to me. <laughs> I, I was the wrong political party. <laughs> in, Indiana, in Indiana, you have to be a Republican. It, I, I spent, this is, a, this is the best part of this story, um, I spent all day, election day, uh, 12 hours at the polls, took two breaks, and it got to the point where, you know, people, it, they didn't want to talk. or So I finally asked a few of them as the day wore on, I go, do you even know who I'm running against? And everybody answered the same thing. It, it doesn't matter. And I, that's when I knew that, one, I was in trouble, but also um, our, our whole political system's in trouble. And it's evident everywhere. Because we aren't, we aren't voting. I mean, there is nothing statewide or, or national politics involved in the office that I was running for county, a county office. And um, I just wanted to get some balance. It was seven Republicans. And whatever they want to approve, they approve because there's nobody there to put their hand up and say, wait a minute, is, is this a good idea? But uh, Indiana is very red. I knew I was in trouble when on election night, Indiana was the first state that was called for Trump. And so I, mean, I, I knew that my chances were down the drain, but I'm glad I did it. Um, I, I, I wanted to try and make a, a difference, and I think everybody should try and make a difference. Um, but the, the, the political climate that we are in right now is such that uh, uh, people don't want to, in fact, I asked somebody, I said, if, if on my card, if you take that, that Democrat off and look at just what I'm proposing, what do you think? Again, it doesn't matter. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't vote for Democrats. And I said, this has nothing to do with state or national politics. This is, has to do with your tax money and how it's dispersed. That's all. And I said, right now, it's a good old boys club. And you don't know where the money's going. They're handing out tax abatements like it's cotton candy. And, and you know, but that's, you, here's the, the old adage is true. You get the government you deserve. And if people don't go vote, if people don't take the time to look at the issues instead of the personalities, uh, we are in for a lot more trouble down the road than we already are. So. Well, to make light of it, Marty, I'll, I'll tell you this, you running and, and Tyler and I, and our, our political background and history, Combined, we all have 11% of the vote from, from that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, you uh, ran for office more than we did, man. We, that's, hey. that's, I know that's a tall order to do anyway. And I'll say this much, too. Uh, I, I can, I'll say this for myself. Maybe I'm speaking for everybody here. I'm going to stay away from bicycles. <laughs> <laughs> Why is that? Is there, is, there a, a, is there a little jab in there? Oh, oh uh, there might be a video of a, a certain uh, president over the weekend. On a yeah, bicycle. I sort of figured that's where you're going. Hey, yeah. hey, I, I play I play hockey on Sunday nights. You should have seen me go flying through the air with the greatest of ease. I mean, you know, just, just because we're older doesn't mean we're old. OK, uh, uh, I will tell the viewers, too. We're getting Marty scheduled for the show. What, what were you telling me, Marty? I was like, hey, we taped kind of late on, during the week. Now, what was your response? You can refresh my memory. Uh, I'm, st I, 
I didn't, I didn't say I was in bed by 9.30. I, I don't go to bed till 11, 11.30. You're like, and I'll substitute the word, you're like, shoot, I'm old, but I'm not that old. Yeah, well, yeah. I, 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 I Look, I, I just, uh, I stay very active. I'm in the gym six days a week. Uh, I do play hockey every Sunday night. Um, I just finished uh, the, the Indy Mini Marathon back in May. Uh, wasn't my best run uh, in a long time, but uh, still finished. So, you know, I figure as long as I can run 13 miles and keep doing what I'm doing, you know, that, that keeps me feeling young. I, I just, I refuse to just sit around and veg in front of a TV. No, no, really not. Hey, that's combined between Tyler, Marty, and myself, one marathon run this year. Yes. <laughs> that's great. Well, the, be the best thing about the Indy Mini, you get one lap around the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. That's awesome. So, that <laughs> I want to play that golf course someday, Tyler. Oh, yeah. it's a great golf course. Great golf course. I still want to jump in uh, Lake Lloyd at Daytona one of these days. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> Today's show is presented by Ticket Spotter, the official ticket resale marketplace of Worldwide Technology Raceway, where David won in 2004. They were the presenting sponsor of the Cup Race earlier this year, this month. Fans can get tickets to any type of event, including sports concerts and theater productions. Ticket Spotter is committed to helping those in need by donating $1 from every transaction to various charity organizations. Head over to TicketSmarter.com to find tickets for upcoming events. Time for News and Notes. Dom, what do we have this week? So this week on News and Notes, Street Course, Chicago 2023. That's looking like a possibility. According to Adam Stern of the Sports Business Journal, a Chicago street course is looking likely for next year's Cup Series schedule. Though the deal is not complete, Adam Stern's reporting sources are – on concerted talks, working towards an agreement for the race to start next year. NASCAR has already stated the goal is to have the 2023 schedule out at some point by the end of the summer. It's not clear if the sports series would also be a part of the race weekend, so Xfinity or the truck series, or which venue could lose out on the Chicago Street course. But we know that the NASCAR Cup Series made its debut at Gateway, which is in Illinois. They've run at Chicago Land Speedway between 2001 to 2019. Tyler, Marty, it looks like we might be seeing a street course for the first time in the Cup Series history, if, if I have yeah, the, correct. The, the rumor is that Road America is the, likely the track that's out uh, with Chicago, the street course coming in. Uh, Marty, I'm very curious your take. Uh, I mean, you've seen street racing before. What do you think of the idea of possibly NASCAR putting stock cars in the streets of Chicago? They better repave a lot of streets in Chicago. Have you ever driven up there? <laughs> I mean, I, I, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I mean, if, if you don't have enough room to pass, if you don't have uh, a, a straightaway long enough where somebody can accelerate and, and dive into the corner, then all you're going to have is parade. I will tell you this. I, I watched last year's uh, cup race on the road course here at Indy, and I know the guys want to run the oval, but that road course race was so much better. And it, it had everybody talking here in India and around the country, as far as I could tell. And, you know, to me, that that's the, the other thing, you know, we didn't get into it. But if, if 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 I could make one suggestion to NASCAR, shorten the races. Yes. Keep, keep the 500 mile at Daytona and the 600 at Charlotte. But, you know, Formula One's got that right. It's an hour and a half max. And you know what you do now? Maybe one week you bring Xfinity and you run them on the same day, which now gets them in front of the big crowd. You, you bring that crowd in that, that is 
you know, only going to come to the Xfinity. Now they're going to see both races. The next time, maybe you run the trucks um, and you give more bang for the buck. And, uh, you know, the, the whole idea and, and you'll still have time for people to buy refreshments and, and, and souvenirs and, and all that thing. But but these, these hour these races that go three and four hours, I mean, it, people have too much to do in their lives these days. And there's so many choices. You know, when I was a kid, there was three television stations, three, ABC, NBC, CBS. If you didn't like what was on, you better go find something else to do. And, and, and there always was. You could, you know, go to sporting events or you could, you know, go out for a picnic, whatever. But now you got 600 channels or whatever on God and all the streaming services. I mean, people sit and literally binge watch for a whole weekend of Downton Abbey. Um, you know, and I'm not saying that's a bad thing or it's wrong, but it, it was one of the reasons I sold championship off-road racing when I did. Because every year with more networks coming online on cable, my ratings were going down, my expenses were going up, and my sponsors are saying, we can't afford to keep spending more money for fewer viewers. And this guy comes along and offers me a nice chunk of change and I would have been stupid not to take it. Um, but, you know, it, it, the, the reality is if, if, you, if you are trying to keep somebody there, you know, we call it in television time spent viewing, you'd be surprised how quickly people surf. I mean, you guys do it. I guarantee you, you do it. Mm -hmm. Commercial comes on. You check something else just to see what's happening. I do it this past weekend. I'm bouncing back, back and forth between the race and the golf. Race and the golf. Race and the golf. Because they're both great events. So, you know, and if you want to hook people, you know, you can't, you can't expect them to stay with you for three and four hours. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you there. Uh, I, I like the idea of the Chicago Street Race, Dom. I know that uh, the guy that's not with us today, David, hated hates the idea of racing oh. on uh, street courses. <laughs> but uh, nonetheless, the, the thing for me, Dominic, uh, I don't like the idea of them taking away Road America. I want to yeah. see more road racing and short tracks, less of the cookie-cutter mile and a half here. You don't need to sacrifice Road America to add the Chicago Street Course. I know, and especially since we've gotten to a point where we're seeing more road courses on the NASCAR Cup Series schedule. I mean, yeah, granted, this will be one road course swapped out for another, but Road America has provided some good racing, and I would hate to see Road America go with you. I'm, I'm with you there, Tyler. Yeah, yeah, certainly so. Uh, Dom, what else we got? Other headlines. So on Tuesday, June 21st, Hendrick Motorsports announced an extension of a longtime sponsor. Valvoline is extending its relationship with Hendrick Motorsports through 2027. The new five-year agreement, according to the, the team press release, maintains Valvoline status as the official lubricant partner of Hendrick Motorsports and as a major associate sponsor on the team's pool stable of Chevrolet race cars. This will include Kyle Larson, Chase Elliott, and William Byron. Valvoline uh, staying in uh, the sport and Hendrick. Uh, Marty, uh, that, that's one, uh, that, that's a name you talk about uh, with racing that's synonymous with it is, uh, is Valvoline. Yeah, well, I remember when uh, Al Unser Jr. beat Scott Goodyear to the stripe, and he's in a Valvoline-striped car. And, uh, of course, Mark Martin had Valvoline for a while. So, yeah, it's, it's been around a long time. Yeah. Um, and uh, one more note, too, uh, Dom. Uh, this weekend, uh, Nashville, NASCAR uh, returning to the Super Speedway at the uh, cup level for the uh, second time. 
Marty, uh, you, you've you've been out to that track before, I'm, I'm sure. What do you make of the uh, National Super Speedway and then hosting cup racing again? Well, I'm glad it's back on the schedule. I, I mean, I always enjoyed our time at, at Nashville. The hardest part for them was drawing the crowd. I mean, it's really not anywhere close to downtown Nashville. The, the speedway's well out there, but the uh, you know. Um, I think with the, the the venue they've got now and and what they're going to be doing, it, it it's uh, got a real chance. And I think that uh, you know I'll be really interesting to see you know how the crowd turnout is. Yeah, it should be uh, some exciting racing, Dominic. Who uh, who's your pick on Sunday? Yeah, I'm going to go with last year's winner, and I'm going very vanilla. But I got to think Kyle Larson gets his first or his second win of 2022 and becomes another multi-winner in the Cup Series. I don't know if you agree with that or not, Tyler, but, man, you'll get to see a front-row seat action to that this weekend. Uh, I'm going to go Kyle Busch. He's uh, come awfully close the uh, last couple of weeks and uh, has some good history at Nashville. Hope he doesn't uh, break the guitar again this uh, this time. <laughs> Keep it clean this time. Uh, bring it home with you. Uh, Marty, who, who are you watching for? Is there a name that uh, comes to mind this weekend? Um, I'm going to tell you, I'll, I'll, I'll just let, let the chips fall where they may on this one, because, uh, I, there's a, there's several teams that can, that can pull that together, but, uh, both your choices are, are good. I mean, uh, you, you're not going wrong with either one of them. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Our, uh, Ask David segment, uh, coming up in uh, just a moment, but before we do, Let's Go Racing is presented by Ticket Smarter. Ticket Smarter came aboard as the primary sponsor this year on David's Ford 08 Mustang. want to tell you a little bit more about what they do. Ticket Smarter is a national ticket resale marketplace with tickets to over 125,000 live events, including NASCAR and other forms of motorsports. Fans can get tickets to every NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Camping World Truck Race throughout the season. Visit TicketSmarter.com for more. That's TicketSmarter.com. Marty, uh, we got a couple questions for you in the inbox. First one comes from Alex. Alex wants to know, uh, why do you go by the stage name Marty Reed as opposed to your last name, Klingerman? See, you just mispronounced it. That's one reason. <laughs> <laughs> the other reason is when I was in college, I was working at the uh, college radio station and then also got a job at the commercial radio station in town uh, at WMOA. And uh, the owner did not want me to use the same name. And my brother uh, used his first and middle name early in his career, which was uh, Bob Wayne. And I just said, okay, well, I'll just go by Marty Reed. And then when I graduated from college in 75 and got hired at WCMH in Columbus, uh, they asked me to just keep using it. And I said, no problem. It's legal. Um, I mean, I've even got credit cards in that name. So, you know, it wasn't anything that, that made it difficult for me in any way, shape or form. And, and it gets a little confusing, but it's also very nice because unless people really know my last name, they can't find me in the phone book. Are there phone books <laughs> anymore? I don't even think there are phone books anymore. I, you just have to go to whitepages.com instead. I think the, the days of the book are over. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's how Dominic found you. Yeah, uh, his research there. Uh, Actually, now, no, now, but okay. <laughs> when when you ran for office, what what name came on the ballot? Oh, uh, Reed, you're allowed. I could have gone by any name. You're allowed to put any name on on the ballot. Um, so uh, yeah, I, obviously Reed's more recognizable, but obviously that didn't help either. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you got eleven percent as opposed to zero percent. 
That's right. Uh, yeah, well, and there were six candidates. So you got to remember it's, it, you know, you make it sound like I got crushed by, by, you know, just one guy or there's just actually six of us in the, in the entire race. But uh, yeah, it was, it, it, it was a, an interesting uh, experience. I'm glad I did it. <laughs> Another question uh, from the inbox. Uh, this one comes uh, from Rick. He wants to know, uh, what is your best memory of Brad Doherty and working with him? Oh, um, oh golly, that, that's interesting because, <laughs> well, because our, the only time we would really spend time together was in production meetings because he would be down in the pit studio and, and, and I would be, you know, in the booth and, and then, when you're not doing that, you're in the garage area trying to track down stories and, and all that wonderful stuff. And so we, we really didn't have, um, I'm trying to think, some of, the, some of the stories that he would tell, which I, I can't share because they're, they're, a couple of them are, are not suitable for broadcast, uh, involved his NBA career. But, uh, you know, uh, Brad was an interesting guy. I mean, um, a smart guy, too. I mean, really, you know, he knew, he knew what he wanted to do with his race team. He knew what he wanted to do as far as, you know, his broadcasting. And so, yeah, it, it, uh, he, he was always interesting to be around. Yeah, uh, he uh, certainly sounds like it. Uh, another question. Uh, this one comes from Doug. Uh, Doug wants to know, uh, Marty, I'd love to see you back on TV. Will you co come back anytime soon? <laughs> I, I will tell you what I've told people uh, for even before I left broadcasting. Uh, and I, at the time, they all thought it was a joke. But in the back of my mind, I knew it was true that there is a day when each one of us in front of the camera is too old, too bald, too fat, too dumb, too ugly and too expensive. And you're out the door. And uh, the proof in that pudding is uh, after I left, uh, 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 Doc Punch and I were talking on the phone and I said, Doc, get ready, you're next. And it wasn't too much longer when ESPN got rid of, you know, IndyCar and stuff like that. And, um, and I said, think about this. I said, tell me the last time anybody in the motorsports department or anywhere in ESPN got to go watching a retirement party. And he goes, oh my God, you're right. And he goes, yeah. It, 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 there was none for Jenkins, none for Page, none for me, none for Varsha, none for anybody. I mean, that's just, and that, that's okay. It, that's the business. When you get into the business, you should know that that day is going to happen. So uh, would I, do I miss doing events? Absolutely. Um, I mean, I, I, I've always loved being that storyteller. Um, but is it going to happen again? No. <laughs> Dominic, uh, before we go, we'll, uh, we'll go around the room real quick. What's uh, what's uh, going on with you this week, man? So this week, I mean, I think some of you guys know, some of the listeners know, and definitely our close associates know, that Felice and I are expecting. And in fact, you got me the, the What a Dad shirt, because what a <laughs> is part of our show, right, at one point. So, so the What a Dad shirt. So thank you, Felice, and you're listening. We're going to have a gender reveal on Friday for the baby. So we're going to have a lot of fun with that. And then this weekend, I'm actually going to be working at the NBC affiliate in Albuquerque, my old job. I'm going to be filling in out there and, and helping them with things. So I'll be staying busy. And, and I know you guys will be at the – well, you'll be at the racetrack. Tyler, how, how much more are you looking to being back at the track? Yeah, it'll be a lot of fun. Uh, first race I've been to in, in a few months, it was out at uh, Coda in Austin uh, back in March. But 
been a little while, but certainly looking forward to getting out to Nashville and seeing some old friends and having a good time and uh, being around the, the real-life version of this guy, David Starr, out there. <laughs> Best of luck to him uh, this weekend. Uh, Marty, uh, before we go to we, – we mentioned Dominic uh, becoming a dad. Uh, any advice you would give to uh, Dominic on this uh, new endeavor coming up here? Uh, I'm, I'm afraid I can't because I never had children of my own. Um, it was a conscious decision I made years ago when I knew I was going to be traveling between 40 and 44 weekends a year. I just I did not want to be a, 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 a what is it a, a, a dad that's not around and an absentee father. And, and when I got married uh, 26 years ago to my wife, Carla, she had a daughter and I, she said, you know, we could adopt. And I said, no, I, I think I'd be a better grandparent. And, and it's been true. We've got three wonderful grandkids, 21, 18, and whoops, who's now six. And uh, <laughs> so, uh, so I, I, I can't tell you, I can give you great advice for, for being a grandpa, but uh, you're on your own when it comes to being a dad. Well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you, you. You can tell him how, how, how awful children are, though, from uh, your experiences with the bus and everything. You know, it's just noisy. And, and yeah. believe me, he's going to find that out the first night that the, the, the child wakes up at 2 a.m. I'm going to remember and, those words when the baby wakes up at 2 in the morning because I deal with 14, 15-year-olds working at a high school. So, yeah, definitely different age groups there. Yeah. Marty, uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thanks for joining us, giving us uh, a few minutes of your time this uh, this evening. Uh, where could people uh, reach out to you if they want to catch up or see what's going on in your world? Well, I I'm, I'm on Facebook. Um, you know, I'm an old fart, so I'm on Facebook. I don't do Twitter uh, or Instagram. I'm, I'm, I have accounts, but I haven't done anything with them for a long time. But, uh, yeah, all you got to do is log on to Marty Reed on Facebook and and, uh, you know, like, like I told you guys, I, I don't travel much. I've been on an airplane six times uh, since uh, I left ESPN. Don't miss the travel at all. I'm kind of a homebody. Um, what I'm going to be doing this weekend is playing hockey. And if you want to be bored to tears, you can come watch because it's certainly not the quality of the NHL. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and we look forward to having you back at some point, Marty. I mean, we'll definitely have you back here in the, the next little bit and we got to have we got to share some more racing stories yeah, yeah. within the next nine years okay okay <laughs> and uh we promised we'll have david on uh when he who comes back as well yeah, I, this is I, the think, first... I think he i think he just uh didn't want me to tell any david star stories so Ooh. oh see that's why we need you back then we got to hear some of these stories so yeah. ironically enough uh this is the first episode david has ever missed of this show in two years so yeah Actually, I don't. I really don't have any good dirt on him, but I, I can make something up if you give me enough time. Perfect. That's what we want to hear. <laughs> we got to put the checkered flag out on this episode. As always, subscribe to Let's Go Racing. New episodes out each and every Wednesday. Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, YouTube. Leave us a five-star review or don't leave us one at all. Check us out on social media, facebook.com slash davidstarpodcast, Twitter at, at starpodcast, and by email, davidstarpodcast at gmail.com. David will be back next week. We will see you then. For Dominic Argon, Marty Reed, I'm Tyler Jones. Thanks so long. It's been another edition of What's the Race. See you next week.